I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Macy Rowe. This is The Doc Project. Today's story is about Kate. I'm Kate McKenna. I'm a journalist with the CBC, and I am based in Montreal. And Kate's grandfather. His name is Jack Wedge. Um, when I grew up, he was a garbage man in the town of Summerside. He called himself a garbologist. And he's just like the sweetest... Um, kindest person you'll ever meet. Kate's memories of Jack, as she tells me about him, they all have this common theme, that Jack showed up for other people. You know, he loved my grandma. They went out dancing like every week, even when he had an oxygen tank and they would go dancing every Friday and he would be there with his tank, like still spinning my grandma around. So So the oxygen tank in one hand and grandma in the other. Exactly, exactly. Kate says he never missed a birthday or graduation, a game or recital, if he could help it. Jack wasn't a big talker, but he showed his love in this way that made you feel seen. He built me this insane four-foot dollhouse. It was like pink and purple, completely made out of wood and painted by himself. He gave it to me and I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever owned. (laughs) It paints a picture, right? This quiet, devoted guy. And that's all true. But all throughout Kate's childhood, there was something else. It was always just something in the background of any conversation or anything involving Grampy that Grampy would go to meetings. So I knew that Grampy was going to meetings even before I knew what Alcoholics Anonymous was. And it was never really, like, I don't ever remember my my mom or anybody sitting me down and being like, Grampy is an alcoholic. Part of it was that Jack got sober. He started going to meetings before Kate was even born, so it didn't really matter that he was an alcoholic. Until, for Kate, suddenly, it did. So I quit drinking uh, 19 months ago. Um, Over the course of a few months, especially my early sobriety, I really uh, wondered what advice he would have on uh, sobriety and life without alcohol. Um, But, of course, he died in 2016, so I was not able to ask him. Um, And so it came to me like, oh, well, wouldn't it be cool if I could talk to people he helped to try and find out uh, what kind of specific advice he gave those people? I mean, what kind of advice were you hoping for? I don't know, something you could like crochet onto a pillow like one day at a time or something like that. Like I thought it would be very um, kind of philosophical advice, or at least that's what I was seeking out. Um, But that is not what I got. Um, What I did learn was both very simple and very surprising. I'm at the boarding gate in Montreal, heading home in uh, just a few minutes. Um, Really looking forward to talking to some of the people 
who knew my grandfather um, in a different way than I did, um, people who he helped with addictions, and hopefully I will be able to glean a little bit of his wisdom on sobriety from talking to them. We'll see. At any rate, uh, it's also Christmas time, so looking forward to seeing my family. One one going to Charlottetown is already for boarding. We will start boarding with This is actually my first sober Christmas with my family. Um, I was sober last year too, but I didn't go home for Christmas. So I'm kind of curious how this is going to play out. So we will see how things go. I'm uh, 14. A 14. This door is clearly a magical door. Christmas Day went well, and my two brothers and I spent the evening playing Dungeons and Dragons. Remove the wrong ball! A young child yells. That's how you get in, and it's where the lift swells. Where's Mickey here? <laughs> I drank tea while they drank beer, and we all had a great time. My family knows I'm not drinking anymore, and they didn't make a big deal out of it. This time last year would not have been so easy. I stopped drinking in May of 2018. And I just... Here's the thing. I quit drinking because I thought that my drinking was getting out of hand. But nothing really happened. There was no, like, rock bottom. There was no um, smashing up my vehicle. There, There was nothing that made me panic or like consider rehab or anything like that. You know, um, I thought that I had a drinking problem, but I didn't think I was like an alcoholic. Oh, this is fun. Okay, so I think, I think for me, the realization that I didn't always have control of the behavior was what made me stop. I always tell people it was just a really bad day at work and I was working till midnight and it was still my first impulse to go drink a bottle of wine by myself in my apartment. And like, I was just like, whoa, 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 we got to stop. We got to not actually do that. But just having that realization and being like, no, that that's a bad reason to drink just made me, you know, take a long, hard look in the mirror. My friend Dave Atkinson from back home in PEI was the first person I emailed when I thought about quitting drinking. I've known him for more than 10 years, and he is somebody that I trust. I think you've done it right all the way through, and maybe this is the next step. I wanted to talk to him about why I felt I needed to stop drinking all on my own. I saw what I thought was a problem, and... The way that I deal with things that I think are problems is I just run full speed to get over the mountain, so to speak. Exactly. You know, it was really hard the first uh, couple months. There's like a lot of like, they don't tell you, or I guess they do if you go to AA, but nobody had told me, uh, you have really crazy dreams about drinking, like really vivid dreams. I would I would just be walking along and just get hit with this big wave of emotion. And I'm not really like that. Like, I'm not really an outwardly emotional emotional person um, and that has caused me to like reflect a little bit more on the drinking and I, I can totally relate there's an independence in you that you were you went and you succeeded on your own but also when you discovered about yourself that oh I have I have a problem with alcohol the independence in you said well I'm going to tackle that by myself 
And I did tackle it myself. There was no magic to it, I just stopped drinking. Sometimes it sucked in social situations, but in early sobriety, I just lied and told people that I was on antibiotics if they pressed. I've known since I was a kid that some members of my family have problems with alcohol, but I didn't fully realize how much it shaped my grandfather's life until his funeral. It was packed with people from AA talking about how Grampy helped them through their addiction. Now I want to find out more about Grampy. And a good place to start is the person who is probably closest to him, my grandmother. I call her Mama. Hi, Mama. Hi. Hi. I her name is Phyllis Wedge. Mama and Grampy were together for 65 years. She developed a crush on him when she was 14. Six years later, they were married. The first time I, I met him, I was at a birthday party just across the street. And he drove me home on the crossbar of his bike. See, he lived in the West End, and I lived in the East End. And the West End boys used to come to the East End looking for girls. <laughs> so he, they found out there was a birthday party going on, and so he drove me home on the crossbar of his bike. <laughs> Exciting, <laughs> eh? Mama told me the story of Grampy's drinking. Like me, he tried to nip it in the bud before it got too serious. That was when he got involved in AA. He loved the fellowship. He just loved AA. And uh, that he did. But you must remember when he was drinking too then. Yeah. 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 Was that rough? No, because he never missed a day's work. Okay. He was a workaholic. He oh, really? worked all the time and his drinking it it was kind of funny we used to go to the Knights of Columbus on Friday night and play darts and uh, he would have his beer he was a beer drinker like that and and that was fine and then then he found he noticed himself he was starting to save one for he'd have when he'd get home from work on Friday night he'd have come in with a six-pack and we then we'd go to the nights and play so you know he had some more there, and then he'd save one. She started saving one for Sunday, and that was kind of a red flag for himself. That's about all my grandma is willing to say about Grampy's drinking, but I'm guessing if he gave up drinking for more than thirty years, he had a serious problem. But then he got sober and used what he had learned to help others. But they would call looking for help, so, you know, that's what you have to do, you have to help them. Yeah. And he he enjoyed doing that. He enjoyed looking after them, whatever help he could give them, I mean, you know. Did you hear anything else at the wake and the funeral from people who... Uh... Well, di- yeah, different ones, but I don't even know who they are, okay? They would say, oh, Jack did such and such, and he was a great fellow, and just... But they thought the world of him, the boys, because he was pretty easy to get along with as long as you were obeying the rules, you know. Thing is, AA is anonymous, so Mama didn't know who any of these people were. But I did have one lead. Grampy also used to work at a home for people dealing with addictions, St. Eleanor's house. So I called one of his old colleagues. 
Hi, uh, this message is from Margaret. Uh, my name is Kate McKenna. I'm. Hi. Oh, thank you, thank you. Okay. <laughs> thank How you for you? having me. Good, good, okay. good. Okay. Just want to check the mail here. Cool. It's beautiful in here. Yeah. My name is Margaret. Margaret Arsenal. How did you know Grampy? I knew him from the program. Yeah, from going to AA. That's where I met him. And then he was working at St. Elner's house, and I worked there too. My last year and a half working with addictions, I was in charge of the of the, of the St. Elner's house, where we keep residents, you know, that need extra help. Like, you know, it's fine to go to a detox for a few days and that, but for some people, that's not enough. Well, how would you describe Grampy Jack? <laughs> Grampy Jack, he was, he was quite the guy. He, he was a really nice man. He really was, you know. And he was great at that job when he worked there, too, because he knew what it was like, you know. He had been there, he knew. So he was really good to the residents there. And he'd even, like, he'd, he'd come and pick them up when he was going to a meeting. He'd come and pick some of them up if they wanted to go and take them. Um, did you ever talk to Grampy about sobriety? Or I guess you would have been... talk about it, you know. Anytime we were, you know, we were there together or whatever, it doesn't matter where, you'd talk about it. Do you remember, I know it's it's a while back now, but part of what I'm trying to do is, um, so I told you that I've been sober for a year and a half, yeah. trying to get some lessons from Grampy, even though Grampy's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, can you think of anything he said, like any sort of, or, or anything he did or anything like that? Well, one of the big things was always go to meetings. I was a, that was a biggie, you know, and when you're in the program, that's what you do. Speaking to Margaret was great, and she did give me some real advice from Grampy, but it was just to go to AA. I I think I just always saw AA as, like, something that people did when they had no other option. Like, AA was like a, you know, when people were really, really struggling with alcohol, um, that, that they went to AA, that it was, you know, in a church basement and... It was for, I don't know how to put it. It was for like people who, you know, uh, had hit some sort of rock bottom or had smashed up their car or had done, you know, destroyed all of their relationships. And that's why they went to AA. And it was almost like I had some sort of cognitive dissonance or something between, you know, that's something that Grampy did. And Grampy, of course, was a fully functioning, wonderful human. Um, And then something that you know, um, another sort of person did. I I don't know how to put it. It's just like, I just imagined AA to be um, a lot of older men in a room together um, and and not something I could relate to at all. Um, So I I just didn't see myself in that framework. I mean, there is an element of religion in AA. um, and it's not that I'm anti-religion or anything like that. Like, I'd be open to that. It just doesn't really compel me to go to that. It just felt like this very antiquated program that um, would be full of people who couldn't relate to my particular experience. So I didn't really see the value in going. Maybe if I heard from someone who he helped directly, they would have some more hands-on advice. My great uncle put me in touch with someone else. Casey here. Coming up, 
Kate meets someone who says her grandfather saved his life. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. If I could just uh, get you to introduce yourself for me, however you want to be known. Okay, my name is Greg and I'm an alcoholic. Greg has been sober for more than 30 years, but it took him a couple of tries. It's like you have all your clothes off and you still have to go around and function. Like I was just that uncomfortable with everything. I, I didn't have to know how to deal with anything. I lost my home and my family and... The only way I ever dealt with anything before was with either get drunk or, or anger, I think. It kept people away from me. But I was so uncomfortable. I know today if I ever took a drink, it, it, it wouldn't be a matter of, of drinking or not drinking. It would be living or dying. The first time he got sober, he lasted a little over a year. Thirteen months in, he slipped. The, the amazing part of it is uh, 13 months to the day I drank and lost my sobriety. And I went rushing back on a, on a Monday night to the Musquish group, and I couldn't sit through the steps. I had, I had to leave, and then I drank for the next six months. He asked his father-in-law for help. His father-in-law took him to St. Eleanor's house, but somehow he escaped and went down to the Legion to drink. This is where my Grampy came in. Grampy guessed that Greg would be at the Legion and went to get him out of there. When Jack came up, I was sitting in the front row at the Legion. Uh, the look that Jack gave me, I just figured I better better, <laughs> better go with him, I guess. And, and I'm, I'm sin- sincere when I say if it was anybody but Jack, I probably wouldn't went. And I don't know why. Just that's, It just was. <laughs> I keep, and I keep thinking the toothpick. I think he had the goddamn toothpick in his mouth, too, when he picked me up. And it, he didn't say much. It wasn't philosophy or anything like that. It was just, the van's leaving. You better get your hairs in it. They kept me at the detox. They kept me there for five or six days, I remember. And I kept telling Jack, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. I don't know what would have happened that night if Jack hadn't picked me up. It was people like Jack that shown me they cared. He didn't have to come pick me up. That says so much to me. Did he ever have any, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm hoping to hear some lessons on sobriety or how to stay sober from... Grampy, even though Grampy is gone, did he ever give you any sort of lessons or, or anything like that? I always see him at meetings, and, and that's the biggest thing. I, but I could just think of Jack and people like that and feel comfort and kind of peace. I just never wanted not want to go to meetings. 
I make sure that I go to at least one a week. I can function on one a week. Three a week is perfect for me. Or, and uh, somebody said one time, are you still going to them meetings? And I said, do you believe in God? He said, yeah, and you still going to church? Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm still going to meetings. Greg's story knocked the wind out of me. I'm not surprised Grampy was there for him when he needed it, but hearing the story made me miss him. And again, it's also clear that Grampy's main advice would be to go to AA meetings. Of course, that is the one thing that I do not want to do. Quitting was hard, sometimes brutally hard, but I did it on my own. As I said, I have this mental image of AA being all older men and cold coffee, I really thought Grampy's advice would be, like, more diverse. I just really do not want to go to AA. I asked Dave for his take on it. I think it's so neat that the lesson, too, that you sought lessons from your Grampy. You sought lessons from your Grampy expecting that it was going to be X. And it ended up being seven. That it's completely different. That it wasn't some, like, well, some on the mountaintop sort of wise thing. This is the secret to it. It was like, no, nah, man, go to the meetings. <laughs> There's some community there that can help you out. And then it turns out that, oh, whoops, Grampy was a superhero. Like an actual dragging drunks out of the, out of the Legion superhero. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's so obvious now that the community is the answer. <laughs> I'm looking for the community in this documentary, and then there's an actual community called AA where people... Uh, talk about this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but I still don't really want to go, and I <laughs> and I'm gonna go, and I, you know, maybe it'll tie everything in a nice bow. Um, you know, maybe I, it won't, right? Maybe, maybe still, you're the person who like you do things on your own. But I think it's really great that you're trying it. I'm really curious to see how it goes. Like you're, you're not, uh, you're not a joiner, right? You're like. <laughs> You come home to visit and you go to church because everybody's going to church. It's like, oh, Grandma, do I have to? Like that that sort of thing. No, I hate authority. Yeah, I hate authority. <laughs> but also belonging to something also acknowledges that you're a smaller part of something bigger. And you're not a small part of anything. So I'm really curious to see how it works for you. Maybe it's good to have a place where everyone secretly knows your name and uh, can be there to help you if you need. I kind of brush off Dave's advice, but I know I have to do this in the spirit of what I'm trying to accomplish. My first real attempt is a wash. I show up at a meeting in a snowstorm. The doors are locked, so I walk away. I'm about 50 feet away when a nun opens the church door. She yells, hey, you looking for Alcoholics Anonymous? Everybody on the street hears. I'm like, come on, lady, it's anonymous. What are you doing? Anyway, she confirms it's cancelled. I try again two days later. It's at an old church in downtown Charlottetown. I'm about to walk into my first AA meeting. Um, I am deeply uncomfortable with this and not thrilled about it. I walked around the building like three times before I'm, uh, I'm about to go in here. Um, but I'm going to do it in the spirit of learning from Grampy um, and trying to take that wisdom and apply it. 
Um, I did notice that uh, today happens to be the 40th anniversary of his sobriety. Um, my great uncle gave me his, his AA chip that has the date he quit drinking on it, which was uh, 40 years ago today. So with those things in mind, um, I'm going to go give this a shot. I will report back. Okay, so I just left the meeting um, a few minutes ago. Um, I really had quite an emotional reaction when I was in there. I, I wasn't expecting that at all because I'm not really an emotional person most of the time, but I did kind of tear up a little bit when we, they were reading the steps. Um, and I don't quite know what to make of that. I had to do the whole, uh, my name is Kate and I'm an alcoholic thing, which I found like extremely weird. Um, but overall, I would say, you know, I had a little bit of an epiphany during the meeting. Um, and the epiphany was that, you know, my goal in this uh, exercise, uh, trying to talk to people who knew Grampy, the goal was always that I wanted to hear some tips or uh, hear some wisdom on uh, living a sober life, a life without alcohol. And, um, you know, after I started talking to people, I remember being like a little bit disappointed that the advice was as simple as go to meetings. But, you know, as soon as I got in there and people were talking and stuff, I realized that they were talking about uh, sobriety and sharing their wisdom on their experience quitting drinking. And that is, you know, exactly what I was looking for <laughs> uh, in my uh, attempt to talk to people who knew my grampy. Um, so, you know, he came through for me in his quiet wisdom. He kind of knew what I actually needed. Um, so I'm going to give the meeting thing a go for a little while see if I like it enough to keep going. Um, I was really moved that, you know, people there uh, immediately wanted to help me, wanted to know more about me. And uh, yeah, I've really valued this experience. Um, and if nothing else, uh, you know, I do feel closer to my grampy and uh, to my own roots. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Not too much. How are you doing? I'm good. So you've been back a couple of weeks. What's going on? Um, It's been good. I kind of feel like I've been like just running, you know. So, but have you been back? Have you gone to a, found a meeting there? I have not. I have had the full intention of doing that. And then it just, it just hasn't happened yet. But I believe that I want to keep doing it. It just... It's like a commitment. It's like multiple hours every single week. I just need to figure out a way to work that into my life. I think it's one of those things where if you're going to try to make it one of the things that you squeeze in this week, you're probably never going to go. Yeah. That yeah. you either, it either has to be embedded into your week where, no, sorry, I can't get together Tuesday night. Why? I got a thing. And you always have a thing. Yeah. And I'm assuming just from talking with you, about your grampy is that was the way he did it yeah you're so, so insightful and smart that is like exactly right and a lot of what i've been wrestling with or thinking about after the fact is like i understand why grampy went he knew 
Um, and, and probably anybody who's been through that program knows that it's easier to deal with things when you have a group of people who can help you through them. And so I think that it's like a, a super helpful tool in that regard and probably something that I definitely could have used, especially earlier on in, yeah. in my sobriety. I just I didn't do it yet. Well, intentions are good, too. I mean, you, you want to go, so maybe next week you'll go. Maybe next so, week. I was thinking about your grapefruit, though. It's impossible to know, but how much do you know, do you think the reason why he kept going, it was not just what he got out of it, but knowing that he needed to be there for the other people there. Oh, interesting. Because if what's your, what you say is true about all the people who are like, yeah, your grampy was the dude who hauled me out, who saved me, that had to be a big reason of why he went. What was he like? What I remember the most about him is... I, and I don't think he did it the last four or five years he lived, but he had a toothpick in his mouth all the time. I can still see him there with that and, and always had a joke. He was a great person. With the people that were in trouble, that were in, in there for help, he was really good to them. It was people like Jack that loved you for no reason. That doc was produced by Kate McKenna. It was edited by Kent Hoffman. You can see photos of Kate and Grampy Jack together on our website. We're at cbc.ca slash docproject. The Doc Project is produced by Kent Hoffman, Allison Cook, and me. Tahiat Mahboub was on digital this week. Our senior producer is Julia Poggle. I'm Macy Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.